This presentation is from UX Australia 2019, Sydney. Um, yeah, good to be here. Um, thanks to UX Australia for doing what you do and having us all here today. Um, I'm Micah, slightly terrified to be up here, but really happy. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about brain maps and just a few ideas we have around how we're experiencing things and how we're mapping out our experiences internally as well as externally. So let's jump in. So recently I started a new job in Melbourne and part of my job is research and getting to know the people that are using our product better. Um, I'm very much in the business of getting to know people. I'm a product designer and everything I do and everything I make is for people. And while I was uh, starting my new job, I was also studying um, at, through Coursera, which is an online learning platform, and it's free, most of it. So I was doing a course called Learning, um, learning How to Learn, and this is basically where we did an exploration of how the brain learns new things and how we pick up on patterns and how we form our own habits. And I thought about how I could overlay some of this within product design and some of the same concepts that are overlapping. And then also, full disclaimer, these are all just thoughts and ideas. So if you agree or disagree with anything, let's definitely chat a little further. So part of what we do is make software for tracking and delivery businesses. Um, Uber has definitely set up that kind of expectation. So this is something that we want to follow through with and continue with. So if you've ever been waiting for a package at home or you're waiting for a gas ignition to come over and fix your gas and you want to see how far they are or you want to track your package, that is basically what we do. And we're in the, um, we're in the process of updating one of our navigational apps, which is a mapping and scheduling tool. So, so far we have about seven personas that are using this or user groups of people. And one of those groups is uh, technicians or tradies, as we'd like to call them. And something that I found when we were doing a bit more research was that a lot of these tradies or the technicians were male and also in their late uh, 40s to 50s. So we set out with our interviews and we did our research and we got talking to our clients uh, here in, in Australia as well as in the UK. And this was a group of people that I started to feel very disjointed from. And this was definitely a group that I knew the least about. So I kind of gravitated towards the one person that I knew kind of fitted in within this group. And that was my dad. Now, he's not a tradie, but he fits within this kind of description. So the more I spoke to him about the, the products and the apps and the websites that he was using, the more I realized how different we were. So I also noticed how he uses his phone. So this is my dad using his phone. And he, you, you can see he would use his left index finger, whereas I use my right thumb to scroll. And it was things like our, our body language and our posture was so completely different. And I started picking up on these things. And I was wondering why we learn how to use things that are so unique to us. So there's definitely, I mean, there's no right or wrong here. It was just very different. So as designers and within our industry, we often talk about things like mental models and conceptual models. And basically, these are just patterns that we've formed by ourselves. It's how we think something works. A mental model often refers to a user's underlying expectation, or it's an assumption of how something, how something works. So things like swiping left or right um, are things that we've very much learned to do, and now they're just part of our lives. Um, 
other mental models that I know or patterns that I'm used to, I can add, I can easily search for something now. I know how to add an event to a calendar. I know how to switch on anyone's TV, except for the one at work. I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, so it's not just about the design of something. It's also very much about the behavior that goes with it. So how has our behavior developed over time? Part of it comes down to how we assimilate information and how we pick up on these different cues. So we have many different ways in which our brain thinks, essentially, and how we develop these, pa these patterns or our maps over time. So three of the ways, um, there's, a, there's a couple, but three of them here include the focus mode, the diffuse mode, and then we put those two modes together and we form a piece of information or a chunk, which is essentially just a, a package of information. So let's unwrap this package. The focus mode. This is when we're concentrating on something. This is how we learn new things. So this data is responsible for our attention, our short-term memory, um, our decision-making, as well as just executing our daily tasks. So you can think of it as writing a, a challenging email or studying for an exam. That's when you're in the focus mode. So the diffuse mode is when we allow our minds to wander freely and start making connections as we're going along. So this is where our thinking starts becoming creative and conceptual. And this happens when you um, allow yourself to just not, partic not particularly be focused on any one thing. So this is why sports and exercise is particularly good for you because it naturally places your body in a, in a mode of, of diffuse thinking. So this also doesn't happen in one particular area of the brain. It happens all over. So a rather silly example that, I, that happened to me the other day was recently when I was shopping. Now, I'm a die-hard Bachelor fan, and I realized that at some point while I was through the shopping aisles that Mary, who is a contestant on the current Bachelor, is a cook. She's not from a place called Cook. And somehow, my mind had seen this and thought that Cook was a place. And it was only while I was kind of just doing, going about my daily business that I realized that my brain had just made this assumption that Cook was a place and not her occupation, even though I knew the formatting of the show was always the name and what the person did. So that's just a silly example of that. So what is a chunk then? A chunk is where the brain takes what we've learned in the focus mode and starts intertwining these pieces together from the diffuse mode. And this is where um, these chunks get stored in our memory and we start archiving them. And this is where we start making our own mental models, our patterns and our habits start forming. And this is why you can do things like drive a car and use a GPS system at the same time. It's not recommended, but you could do it. So why is any of this important? Users will plan and predict their actions within a system based off their own experiences. So without anchoring our designs and our UX in what someone already knows, we'll probably leave them frustrated. When we know what people are comfortable with and what their expectations are, we can leverage this knowledge to build something useful and lasting. It's the reason why some websites or apps feel intuitive and others not so much. And to me, the word intuitive means that it's new and exciting, but I also feel comfortable and familiar. I know what to do. Another reason is that willpower is an extremely valuable resource, and we don't want to be using it up unnecessarily. So people generally struggle to remember a new system, and ultimately the product might feel a little lonely. 
Our focus mode goes on overdrive at any point of applied willpower, which is often why, which often leads to our own procrastination. So anything with more than two to three steps will probably leave us a little overwhelmed, which is why things like a sign-up form or forgetting your password never have more than three clicks to fix it. Another reason is reward. Most popular products reward our brain in some way. So after we've applied our mental energy, we get something back. And this is very much a, a, a mental model from the school system, as in do your homework and you get a gold star. So product reward can range from, from most things, from time saved on, on an online order or um, checking imaginary boxes off a progress bar or receiving a, a new like or a follower online and getting that kind of hit of dopamine and going forward like that. So whatever the reward is, it's generally in proportion to the task. The problem here, however, is that we've also started creating products that are encroaching on our mental space. We've set up a culture of mindless scrolling that intentionally mimic the effects of our brain modes. It's the reason why products like Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook are so popular is because they package up these chunks of information that alternate us between our focus and diffuse modes. We don't want to have to learn how to use Instagram or what goes into the, the back end of it. We just know that it's fun and relaxing to scroll through pretty pictures. The benefit here is that we've never been more in tune with what users are needed and users actually want and need. We're in a space where consumer empathy, ethics, and accessibility are realized and celebrated. By tapping into users' brain maps, we can provide a product team with a shortcut to creating more and developing more stronger experiences with beautiful, functional UI. So going back to our technician, who we named Joe, we went beyond creating a persona for our product. We started creating a map of their experience and their expectations. By finding out what tasks this person was confronted with on a daily basis, what required their focus attention, and also what did they like to do for fun outside of work, we found out what they needed from a place of psychological safety within the workspace, and also what they wanted in terms of their control in their daily lives and in their jobs, and then also what they liked which was to feel connected to people. Funnily enough, we found out that a technician, the best part of most of their day was when they were leaving work. And this wasn't because they didn't like their jobs. It was just like any one of us, they were just keen to get home after a long day. So how could we facilitate that feeling in our products? How can we help this person do their job, feel safe and accomplished at the end of the day? How can we help them feel more connected to the people around them? How can we get them excited, yes, maybe to leave work, but then also to return the next day, ready to go? Could it be through the gamification of route mapping or peer reviews or a simple welcome message in the morning or a suggested coffee break? I don't know what the answer is yet. This is something we're working on. But I do know that when we start asking questions like these, our product starts to become part of someone's life. And that's how we build connections to products. It's how we can increase our conversion rates and as a byproduct, increase our attention and keep our people. It's how we improve our brand's perception. And that's why we as people would choose an app 
that 10 other apps are also doing. It's how we bridge the gap between people and products. And that is something to think about. Thank you.